Help keep Kinks and Beats Daily alive with a $4 monthly contribution and receive exclusive bonus episodes as our thank you to you. Visit HeroHabit.com slash shop for more details. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for downloading uh, episode 167. This is Kinks and Beats Daily. I'm your host, Tony Fry. And uh, again, thank you for downloading. If this is your first episode, welcome. Um, please enjoy 166 preceding episodes and make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and subscribe. Um, if you're returning, thanks for continuing to download. Uh, we are asking the question right now. I want you to submit to me via voicemail at 925-494-1739 a Kinks or Beatles song either within the bands or their solo catalogs that you completely changed your opinion on from the past. I don't care how far back you have to go. Uh, maybe it's something you hated before you love now, or you loved before and you can't listen to it all now. Uh, I want to hear what these songs are and what made you change your mind or, or, you know, how has your mind changed in one way or the other? So think about it. Give me a phone call. We're going to turn that into a bonus episode um, to come out when I've got a few uh, voicemails to share. But uh, you can, like I said, give me a call 925-494-1739 and leave a voicemail of any length and as many voicemails. If you've got a lot of songs to talk about, go ahead and leave them. Today, though, we're talking about a song called Lovin' Song by Paul McCartney and Wings. It was released May 16th, 1975 as the B-side to listen to what the man said. And May 27th, 1975, as the third track of Venus and Mars. And the single, the A-side of the single, was a number one hit around the world. Top ten hit everywhere, but number one um, in the countries that you'd expect a Paul McCartney uh, song to be number one. And this track, Love in Song, was one of the first to be recorded for the album. And as such, is only one of three songs to feature Jeff Britton on drums because he would quit the band before they finished recording this album. He lasted in wings for about six months before he quit. And so there's only three tunes on this entire album that feature him on drums. And this is one of them. And it's, it's a fine drum performance. This is not really the song. I, if I was a drummer, this is not the song I would probably use to highlight it because it's a slow song and there's not a lot of drum work on it, but you know, he does a, a fine job. Um, there's a lot of acoustic guitars on it. Paul's playing a 12 string and, and the other guys are all playing it. There's a lot of guitars. But one thing of note is uh, Paul's playing the same upright bass that Bill Black played on the old Elvis recordings, the classic early Elvis recordings. Paul owns that bass. And I bring that up as interesting because we just talked about it a couple days ago. If you're listening in real time, we just talked about that a couple days ago on the Real Love episode where he double tracked an electric bass and Bill Black's um, stand-up bass. So he's been using this bass since the mid-70s. Um, I'm not real sure when he got it. That's probably for another episode, but uh, it's cool that he's using it here, and you can really hear it. You hear it more on this than you do on Real Love because he does some scooping, and the, the benefit of not having those frets is that you can scoop into your notes. You know, boom, boom, boom. And so you hear that a lot in this um, track. For me, this song suffers from its placement on the album. Venus and Mars opens with a little short introduction, Venus and Mars, the title track. And it's like just over a minute long, maybe a minute and 20. 
and then segues right into the rock show, which is this great rock, you know, rock and roll song. It's it's full throttle. It's got different sections. It's almost like a like a a Paul McCartney suite in the way it goes through some of these sections. And it's just you know pedal to the metal all the way through. And then that segues right into love and song today's uh, today's song. And the arrangement's good, and the song as a whole isn't bad. But if I was sequencing this album, I would have swapped letting go and love and song. I would have just put them in each other's place. Because both are slow-ish. You know, they're both, well, they are. They're just slow. This one's very slow. And then um, Letting Go is is slow, but kind of bluesy slow. Um, but Letting Go is electric, right? It's a riff. It's a cool groove. So coming out of Rock Show, you got this pedal to the metal rock song. And then it directly segues into this slower bluesy rock song. And then that goes into, you gave me the answer. So it's kind of like winding you down. Whereas the way it stands, it, you kind of just crash into a wall. You're all hopped up on the adrenaline of rock show and then boom, you're done. So I would have swapped them. Um, and then love and song. Then would become the album closer or the, not the album, the side closer, side A closer. And this would have been perfect because Love in Song ends. It's a finish ending, right? They hit their chord, they're done, and, and it's, it's done. An appropriate time to go, all right, the album's done, time to flip. Whereas Love uh, Letting Go fades. There's a long fade out there, which, you know, I don't think makes a greatest um, side closer. So that's what I would have done. I don't know. It's just me. Plus on the CD, when you don't have to think about side flipping, um, I think love and song would blend nicely into the Venus and Mars reprise that opens side two. So, you know, what do I know? I'm not Paul McCartney. I have not sequenced a number one multi-million selling album, but uh, that's, I would, I would do it different. But because of that, because of its placement, I say all that to say, I often skip this song and just go straight into You Gave Me the Answer. Um, it just, it doesn't really hit me as that impactful coming off of Rock Show. Lyrically, it's not one of Paul's best, but it's not one of his worst. And most songwriters of, you know, a lesser ilk would probably be thrilled to have written it. You know, lines like, my heart cries out for love and all that goes with loving, love and song, love and song. I mean, he does say in the first verse, love four times. So that's what it is. My, you're so fine. When love is mine, I can't go wrong. Love and song, love and song. I might be talking myself out of my opinion on the lyrics being fine. Maybe they're a little lazy, but they fit the melody. Um, One thing I don't like, and I think this is another thing. It kind of just grates on my nerves and I'm reluctant or hesitant to even tell you because I don't want it to grate on your nerves. But he does this thing that I've always called meowing. And when I work with instrumentalists, particularly wind instruments, like in a big band, jazz band or whatever, a lot of times they will do this if they're young musicians, they'll do this as a way to sound soulful. And I know that's not what Paul's doing. Paul doesn't have a problem making his voice sound soulful. He's doing this for an effect 
to add to this kind of hauntedness um, of the arrangement of this song. But that doesn't mean I have to like it anymore when he does it. Even if there's an intent there that is acceptable, doesn't mean I have to like it. And it's when you sneak up into a note volume-wise. So you go, yeah, 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 yeah. You're meowing, right? And he does that um, particularly, I think, in the second verse it is, that it gets really aggravating. But, you know, you get this, um, my heart cries out for and it's just it's i think a little bit beneath him and i don't think it hits the ambiance that he thinks it hits uh the piece is written mostly in g minor but what's cool is that at the end of every verse he resolves to a g7 chord which is technically a five of four so it's it's a borrowed chord but um through the whole thing he drones a g through the main verse and that G jumps around. So sometimes it's the root of the chord and sometimes it's the seventh of the chord. So it's not, you know, he's, he's changing chords, but all these chords have a G in them. Even if he's got to stretch out the chord harmonically to get to that G, they all harmonically have a G in it. So you have this drone that goes under all these songs, all these um, chord changes. And then he resolves that onto a G7 chord. So you've got like this, the, all of a sudden everything opens up into this major chord and you've got the seventh, which is adding a little bit of dissonance. And you can hear it in the little riff where he highlights that he goes to a major because he hits the, we're in G minor. Right. And then he hits the G7. And to highlight that he's in major, he starts his little riff on the major, uh, the ma- what makes it a major, the B. And then hits the, so he goes B, D, F. So he really nails home, um, nails home, that's a phrase. But he really gets you to know that we are in that G7 chord and that it does not belong. It is kind of, it opens up. It's like it allows this melody to breathe, but continues the drone. And then when he gets to the chorus, it's pretty standard chords for the key. He is in a minor key. He's using uh, the natural minor chords. So you've got a minor one, a, a major six, minor five. And then he shifts the focus up to the third. So he's going from basing it on G to basing it on B flat. He's not leaving the key. He's not going to B flat. Um, he's just kind of shifting the focus to B flat. And from there, he's just going from a major three to a minor five. So, I mean, it's nothing crazy. It's pretty rare for McCartney, actually, to write a piece so grounded in one key. And that G7 chord that I talked about at the end of each verse is um, really the only borrowed chord. And that's, I think, what adds to the ambiance of the song. That's what makes it moody and kind of ethereal and, and dark, is that he is in a natural minor key. So that kind of eliminates leading tones. Okay. Um, I don't want to get too deep into that, but a natural minor is just the minor key as it would be presented without any kind of adjustment. Most songs that you hear in pop and rock, uh, when they're minor, use the harmonic minor, <clears throat> excuse me, which raises the seventh scale degree. So, like in G minor, which we're in here, um, we've got 
an F, the seventh is F, and then G. That's not a particularly strong pull. But in a harmonic minor, we raise that F to F sharp. That's a half step. Now, all of a sudden, we've got leading tones to the tonic, the home key. So with the natural minor, you remove these leading tones, and it becomes a little bit more um, open and less like it doesn't pull you in one direction. So when you couple that with this drone that goes on through all the verses, um, I think it makes the song spooky and all that, which is what he's going for, but it also adds to the monotony and could have probably been a verse shorter. Now, it's only three minutes long, a little over three minutes, so it's not a very long song. Um, But because of the tempo and the drone notes, it feels like it's a little long. And when you are coming off of Rock Show, which is longer, it's over five minutes, but much faster and more exciting, I think it it makes it even feel even longer because you're like, when are we getting back to the rock and roll stuff? Overall, not a bad song, though. And like most of Venus and Mars, it's pretty easy to sit through if you're listening to the album all the way through. This is one of his most... um, I I don't want, I don't know the word. I guess his most um, consistent solo albums of the '70s, in my opinion, where you can sit through and listen to every song and just enjoy the whole album. I think Ram is like that. I think um, I know people will disagree with me, but I think Back to the Egg is like that. Uh, you know, and and he's got some albums that aren't like that. Band on the Run. I don't know. I don't love that album as much as some people. I mean, I do. It's a great album, but I think Venus and Mars is the better album. Um, you know, but a lot of his other stuff from the seventies kind of has, and the eighties um, has a tendency to dip. And, and there's going to be some songs that you're going to struggle through to listen all the way through every time you listen to the album. So that's love and song. If you have thoughts on this, go ahead and email me kinks and beats at herohabit.com. Call me 925-494-1739 or join our new Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash kinks and beats. And if I said that all too fast, just go to herohabit.com and you can find all the information under the podcast button at the top of the page um, for kinks and beats daily that you need all the ways to get a hold of us, all the ways to participate in this podcast and how you can contribute $4 a month to keep this ad free and to gain access to exclusive content that we're not sharing on the main uh, podcast feed. All right. That's it for me today. Thanks for downloading again, swing by iTunes and leave me five star rating and review. And I look forward to hearing all your guys' responses to the song that you've changed your opinion on. All right. Take care, everybody. This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. Swing by HeroHabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. HeroHabit.com. Collect your heroes.